weapons of the Spirit. Were they to take our house? Jesus. Amen. The texts, the epistle, and the gospel, I'll even throw in the first reading. What the heck? Brothers and sisters, let's pay attention to this particular word from the second reading of the epistle today. For we hold that one is justified, how? By faith, apart from what? Works of the law. It doesn't get any better than that, and I suppose it doesn't get any clearer than that. Sinners are justified before God through faith. Faith not in faith, but rather faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Good Friday Savior, who shed his divine blood and offered his holy body on the wood of the cross to atone for the sin of the world. Jesus, are you listening? He's the Savior. He alone. When he said from the cross it is finished, he meant it. The salvation job was done entirely and totally by him. So are we clear on that? It was not so terribly clear in the 1500s when Dr. Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk and a teacher of the Holy Scriptures, nailed his 95 theses for debate on the church door in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. It was not quite evident that there was a righteousness of God apart from the law, namely the Ten Commandments, received through faith and not as the result of what people do or don't do. It was not all apparent to the faithful in the medieval church in Europe, and especially in Saxony, that salvation was pure and total gift only for Christ's sake. I don't know if you know this or not, but it would be interesting to review sometime, but Christians at that time in the 1500s were taught that they could never be sure of their what? Do you know? They could never be sure of their, their salvation. Can you imagine being taught that? They heard sermon after sermon all their lives about what they needed to do like the importance of buying indulgences, doing obligations, and religious duties to establish a righteousness of their own. There was never any certainty in those things. And consequently, Christians in medieval Europe and Saxony feared the fires of purgatory for their loved ones and for themselves. And so what did they do? They purchased private masses in the hope, in the hope that their loved ones would be freed from torment. In addition, Medieval Christians were taught to be afraid of Jesus because he was portrayed as a stern judge with the scales of justice in his hand. Jesus measured your bad against all your good. And so in the medieval church, salvation was always uncertain and it was unsure. Christians were full of doubts about that. So for example, if they said, if I were to die tonight, would I go to heaven? And the answer that the church or the priest would give was, well, maybe. You might get there eventually, but it depends on you, so try harder. What the church in Luther's day would not say categorically was this. Well, yes, of course. St. Paul teaches that the sinner is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, that was then. Let's fast forward to today. Sadly, most of Christianity today is just like the medieval church. 
the central and core teaching, the hub around which all of Christian doctrine spins, the heart of the Christian faith, salvation, by faith alone in Jesus, is in no better shape today. All I have to do is ask the ordinary Christian how they get saved. And all I have to do is listen to the answer. When one listens to the preachers of today, most especially when I attend funerals, the sinner, of course, is never justified or declared righteous before God by the imputed, external, alien righteousness of Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Son of God, but rather the person goes to heaven because of what they did in their life. That's no joke, and it's not an exaggeration. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Funeral sermons, like many sermons, Sunday sermons, rarely proclaim Jesus as the only Savior. And so what happens? Good Friday Jesus and his merit gets pushed aside, shoved in the closet, or thrown over the cliff. And the merit of the sinner gets promoted. The usual language today, as it was in Dr. Luther's day, was this. Oh yes, of course, we're all for faith. Oh, we're never against faith. But faith is not enough for salvation. So what's needed? It's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus your love. Jesus plus your obedience. Jesus plus your piety, your prayers, your devotion, or your decision. Ultimately, what you do is what saves you. Now, I, I, of course, was confronted by this medieval and spiritually deadly way of thinking when I was in high school. My girlfriend and her family at the time said to me, Brent, you're not a Christian. Brent, you're not saved. And that rocked me to the core because I believed in Jesus. I trusted in Jesus. I believed that his Good Friday death atoned for all of my sin. And yet I was categorically told that I was not saved. The way I was supposed to get saved, ultimately, depended on me, according to my girlfriend at the time and her family. Faith in Jesus plus something I had to do. And what was that? I was told that I had to give my heart and my life to Jesus. Otherwise, I would never go to heaven. Do you see the deadly theological shift here? Jesus wasn't enough. His death on the cross wasn't enough. His Good Friday sermon, it is finished, wasn't enough for my salvation. Faith in him was okay, but he was never enough. I had to do something. I had to do something. I had to do something. So what would I have to do in order to be saved? I had to make a decision for Jesus. And so Jesus essentially was thrown overboard. That's Antichrist. Now we're back to the text for today. Paul says in Romans 3, for we hold that one is justified by faith. That's faith in Jesus apart from works of the law. That means anything you do or don't do. How can anyone in the world have a problem with this in the text? teaching that sinners are justified before God only for Christ's sake. How can anyone have a problem with that? I'll tell you why. There are two reasons. I'll leave it to two today. First, we underestimate the law, the Ten Commandments. We think that the Ten Commandments are only a set of principles, 
just a guidebook to give us purpose in life, merely an owner's manual to show us how to live in order to please God or to put him in a headlock or a full Nelson so that he's obligated to hand us heaven. We falsely believe that the law, the Ten Commandments, make us better people. This is why many in our country want to post the Ten Commandments in the courtroom and the classroom to show sinners the right way. Give them the Ten Divine Principles for a holy and moral life. Bottom line, it's this. We falsely believe that the Ten Commandments will make us better people and that God will love us and reward us for trying to be better people. Now, don't misunderstand. We want to be better people, but that's not why God saves us. Do you understand that? And in this myth of trying to use the Ten Commandments in this way, we try harder so that God will love us more. In other words, the law then becomes the instrument for salvation, not the Lord Jesus. So we'd better hear what Paul says unambiguously in the epistle. He says, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. There you have it. What's the purpose of the law, according to the epistle? to shut everyone's mouth before God. You see, I know this may offend you, but I'm gonna say it anyway. God's not interested in what you've done for him lately. He knows that already. He's not impressed by what comes out of our mouth because we're old Adamic sinners. We're guilty under the law before him. We are old Adamic idolaters, blasphemers, despisers of his word, disobedient to authority, murderers, adulterers, thieves, liars, gossips, cheats, and coveters. We sin in our thoughts, we sin in our words, we sin in our deeds. We sin by the things we do and by the things we don't do. And that, brothers and sisters, is just scratching the surface. Those are just the symptoms. The condition is sin, the inherited congenital disease of disobedience and death that comes from our parent, Adam. So the law, or the Ten Commandments, is intended to shut us up so that we can do what? Listen. Because only in hearing are we going to be free from this sinful mess. You see, as long as you are credentialing yourself, justifying yourself before God, as long as your mouth is proclaiming your holiness and obedience, your ears will be what? Deaf to the only word that can save us, the justifying word of Christ's Good Friday forgiveness. So through the commandments, God is saying to all of us, be quiet, shush up, listen, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The law, according to the text, also holds the whole world accountable to whom? To God. Have any of you eaten Hebrew national hot dogs? What's the motto when you buy the hot dog? We answer to a higher authority. Everyone does, whether they acknowledge God or believe in him or not. The whole world is accountable to God under the Ten Commandments. And just so there's no mistaking it, the whole world feels the pressure of the Ten Commandments, the law. The wages of sin is what? Death. And there's no one who misses sin's payday. All you have to do is look behind me in the cemetery. 
In addition, the purpose of the law, according to the epistle, is also to do what? Did you catch it? To give us knowledge of our sin. So the Ten Commandments, the law, does not give us the forgiveness of sins. Instead, the law shows sin, reveals it, magnifies it, it cat scans us, MRIs us. It gives us the divine diagnosis of our deadly condition in the same way that we all go to the doctor who connects the dots of our symptoms and then gives us the underlying cause of our illness. You think you have problems? Well, God through the law says that you are the problem. You think that you have a few bad habits to straighten out? Think again. God through the commandments, says that you are malignantly riddled with a condition called S-I-N. So we're all terminal cases. It's not going to get better by itself, and we can't fix it. That takes us to the second reason why many don't get justification by faith alone in Jesus. It's because we all underestimate the depth of our sin. Jesus, in the Gospel reading today, nails those who would play fast and loose with the notion of sin. Jesus says, everyone who <coughs> sins is a, did you catch it? Slave to sin. Sin is slavery. Every sin is a form of slavery. It's a nullification of freedom. It's a denial of our humanity. And the thing about slavery is what? You can't free yourself from it. Someone else from the outside has to redeem you. Someone else has to pay the price and buy you back. In the gospel, the Jews of Jesus' day, they didn't see such things, and so they didn't get it. They had Abraham's blood running through their veins. What more did they need? They had forgotten their past. They had forgotten that Abraham, all the patriarchs, all the prophets, and the remnant of Israel lived by mercy, not merit. By grace, through faith. We've never been enslaved to anyone, they said to Jesus. <laughs> Did they forget that little thing that happened in Egypt 400 years prior? I mean the 400 years in Egypt. How easily they forgot. Sin is slavery, and everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we can't free ourselves from this condition any more than the Israelites could free themselves from slavery in Egypt. That brings us then to the Jesus point which is also the justification point. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has redeemed all of you from the slavery of sin. If the Son sets you free, Jesus says, you are free indeed. Jesus our Lord redeemed you not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. He was made your sin, though he himself knew no sin. He was baptized to Good Friday death into your sin and death. He drank the cup of God's wrath poured out on you. He became you under the law. He became all humanity under the law to bear your sin and also to be your, your righteousness. Jesus, you see, is perfect humanity under the law. He fears, he loves, and he trusts in his Father above all things. He rightly honors God's name and word. He is the obedient son of his father and his mother. He helps and befriends his neighbor. He is sexually pure, chaste, and holy. He doesn't steal, lie, gossip, slander, or covet anything. He's perfect, the perfect man under the law. And that perfection, brothers and sisters, he gives to you by grace through faith for his sake alone. Jesus was made to be your sin. 
And he was condemned in your place. God the Father, as he bore your sin on the cross, considered, to be, considered Jesus to be one rebellious man. And so God the Father treated him as the idolater, the drunkard, the adulterer, the murderer, the thief, the liar. So Jesus on the cross, bearing our sin, was damned with our damnation, cursed with the curse of the law, receiving in his own body what you and I deserved. But he gets it instead. Mm. He does justice to our sin in two ways. He keeps the law for us where we could not, and he dies under the law for us as we deserve to die. This is the righteousness of God of which Paul speaks in the epistle that brought hope and certainty to Dr. Luther and the reformers of the 1500s. Not the righteousness of God under the law by which we are judged and found wanting, but rather the righteousness of God under the gospel when God justifies us for Jesus' sake. Brothers and sisters, in the first reading from Revelation 14, there is the promise of the angel, a preacher, that flies overhead with the eternal gospel in order to proclaim the good news of our Lord Jesus to all who dwell on the earth. The point of Revelation 14 remains to this day. What? Well, it's this, that God will send preachers to preach the gospel. God will always have preachers who will proclaim good news to sinners who sin, so that they will what? Believe only in Jesus for their salvation. And that's why I'm here at Trinity. My pastoral, ta pastoral task is to preach the gospel to and for you as long as I'm here. And so, as the, as, the, as the Revelation text says, fear God and trust in his Son. Why? Because in Jesus, you're perfect and holy. In Jesus, you're justified. In Jesus, you're sanctified. In Jesus, you have life, even in your death. In Jesus, you are righteous before God. You are clothed in a robe of his righteousness that he won for you on the cross. In Jesus, then, you are free. Free from the power of sin, free from the condemnation of the law, and free then to live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. We hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. I beg you, believe it. Live it and proclaim it. And you will at the Lord's Supper today. As you eat the bread and drink from the cup, you proclaim the Lord's Good Friday death for you until he comes on the last day. Could it be any clearer than that? Of course not. In the name of Jesus.